One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is Yannick Noah. Remember me? <laughs> You're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Yes, welcome to Roland Garros Relived. Yannick Noah coming your way in what I would say is the most enthralling interview I've ever done. Certainly one of the most enthralling interviews I've ever heard, quite frankly. Delighted to have it for you here on the Tennis Podcast in the first of 15 editions of Tennis Relived. Just before we get cracking with that, though, we had a, a quiz yesterday for our predictions level Kickstarter backers who don't have any live tennis to predict about. The goal for Catherine and Matt in setting it up was for me not to win. And they got their way because I came not first. Not even second or third. It wasn't even a podium finish, which is right. <laughs> really, really better than we even better than we even dreamed of, to borrow a, a, a phrase from Yannick Noah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> who will be coming soon here on the first edition of Roland Garros Relived, which we will be bringing to you every single day throughout the two weeks that should have been the French Open. You two should have been in Paris right now. Sorry, I, I know that's rubbing it in. Um, but we have the, the next best thing for you. We have uh, this journey through the past, the, through the wonderful history of the sport. We're going to be doing the same during Wimbledon. And we have a wonderful exclusive interview with Yannick Noah today to take us through 1983. So lots to look forward to. Congratulations to Daryl, the champion of the quiz yesterday. I say that through gritted teeth, uh, but fair enough. He won fair and square. Yeah, that was the added element of perfection, really, that Daryl is David's university mate. So not only was he beaten, he was beaten by the one person who he absolutely wanted to beat himself. Yeah, former mate would be more <laughs> accurate. So let's get cracking on something more more, more jolly, shall we? Uh, 1983, uh, Yannick Noah against Mats Velander in the men's singles final of Roland Garros. In 1983, seatbelts became mandatory in the UK. The first mobile phones were introduced to the public. Cabbage Patch dolls were introduced. Do you remember Cabbage Patch dolls? I can't believe the, the the most notable, interesting thing about 1983 for you involved seatbelts. I haven't finished yet. Uh, the final episode of MASH aired with 125 million viewers. Microsoft Word was released. Uh, and Kim Jong-un, Chris Hemsworth and Kim Clijsters were born. What a trio. What not, a list. Not often mentioned in the same <laughs> breath. 
but ought to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, and on and in the tennis world, <laughs> two famous Kims. <laughs> <laughs> we were about to Is, hang on. Did, you said Kim Jong Un. Is that wrong? No, I'm just checking. He's the one that is is rumored to be currently and for the foreseeable future deceased, right? Yeah, but I think I think those rumors were well. I mean, what can you believe coming out of there? But I think they were unsubstantiated oh, right. they? okay have we I seen a so. photo of him with today's paper I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think there was video of him oh, right. he was born in 1983 that much we do know um and in 1983 yannick noah had his moment he'd been discovered by arthur ash in a, a tour of cameroon where noah spent his formative years and at the age of 23 noah had been a professional player for quite a while by that time but he'd never had a run like he would have at Roland Garros. No Frenchman had won the French Open title since Marcel Bernard in 1946. No man has done it since. So let's hear all about it from the man himself. Yannick, take it away. My dream, my ultimate dream, you know, as a child growing up in Paris, in France, I actually stayed one year as a tennis student in Roland Garros, dreaming on this empty center court about just playing there one day. It, you know, I, I spent, you know, by the eight, you know, beginning of the, the late seventies, I moved to Paris. So I was from Paris. My fa- my family was living in Paris. My friends were in Paris, but my ultimate goal was to just win this. And, uh, this year of 83, we started in March with my coach Patrice and we had a chat and we said, okay, now from now on, we're going to do everything we can just thinking about this goal, winning this. So we had three months. So we started out, you know, practicing a lot. I was playing great tennis. We went to, uh, to Monte Carlo, win the first round, second round, third round. I'm playing. Manolo Orantes. Manolo then was like 36. You know, uh, it was for me an easy game to win. So I'm at the hotel, 11 o'clock. And of course, my friends are calling me, Yannick, what are you doing? We're in Monte Carlo. It's party time. So I'm like, oh, uh, well, I have a game tomorrow at 12. You know, oh, it's okay. You know, you wake up at eight, you just come for a little, you know, just come. So I said, okay, I'll come for one drink. It's okay. So I ended up staying late, way too late. And uh, I said, okay, it's okay. You know, I'll sleep to, you know, tomorrow night. You know, I'll, I'll be ready for the semifinal. So I play Manolo, win the first set, I believe, and then lose because I got tired. And it was very, very embarrassing. So Patrice came to me, Patrice Ajeloer, my coach, came to me and said, Yannick, you know, okay, you really screwed up. I don't want to be your coach. I'd rather stay your friends, but I cannot work like that. We've been working already for three full weeks, and you know, you I heard that you went out last night, so it's not. I cannot work with this. So I said to him, Patrick, I'm really embarrassed. You know, I swear from now on, let's go, let's do it. You know, I'm really embarrassed. And he went, okay, you, okay. So I just I just had finished the game like half hour ago before. So we went right away. So okay, so put you take your rackets. We're gonna go practice for another three hours. So we went to practice right away, and then from then on, I went to work as I never did in my life. And then and here we come. You know, I I went to play Madrid. I won Madrid. First, I played Lisbon. I lost to Mads in the finals. I was up six four five four and lost it in the finals. 
in Lisbon. I went to play uh, Madrid. I win Madrid. I, w- I go to play Hamburg. I, I win Hamburg, beating uh, two good clip coach players then. You know, it was uh, Mats and uh, Jose Guerras. And uh, then I had a week of off and then came the French and I, I, I played, you know, I, I played, I was ready. You sure were. Um, you you had a match, I believe, against Ivan Lendl. That, yes. Uh, that fortnight. Yes. What do you remember about that? Well, I, I always liked to play Ivan because Ivan, he, he was a, Ivan was a better player, but I liked to play him because we were both, we grew up as juniors together. He, he was always one, two, I was one, he was two, but he was always Ivan and Yannick since we've been like in, you know, 14 years old. So he was always like this competition between us, competition of style, of, uh, of, you know, everything. We were like so different, but with, you know, s- some respect. So I was really, he was pushing me up, you know, and uh, when I was playing him, I was always, because I, I liked his game, I could read his game, so I was always playing well against him for some reason, and even though he won, you know, he was number one, he became like one of the best, the greats, I never got to his level, but when I was playing him, I was always like playing great matches, so I was very, I was ready, I played him, I was playing him in the quarterfinals, uh, I was very excited by the game, so I was I win the first set, I believe six three or six four. I was in the first two sets quite easily. I'm up five three, I believe, in the third, and uh, and then he serves, and you know he's, he's like he was like you know he was like so upset. He was like you know acting like he was giving up and tanking. So match point, you know, fifteen forty serve, you know he's. he's he served a second serve and he's come to the net. He was never come to the net, never serve and volley. Come to the net like walking. So I just push it back thinking he's going to just, you know, give it back, back to me. And you just make a little, you know, nice little volley, you know, uh, 30, 40 match, second match point, third, second, second match point. He does the same. I return, better return, but he makes a, you know, decent volley winner. Okay. I said, okay, fine. At that point, you know, the, the energy like changed. The whole stadium started to like, I could feel the tension. I can feel the nervousness. I, and, and I just, I just went into a black hole. Uh, I, I couldn't think. I just realized like I had too much points 10, two minutes ago, back to 5 4. I serve. I don't even remember what I did. 5 all. The next thing I know, it's two sets to one, and I was I was I was completely in a black tunnel. I didn't know where I was. I couldn't think. Uh, totally disturbed. I'm serving the first game of the of the fourth. Uh, I'm serving love fifteen, love thirty, love forty. The the you know I'm playing home, so the people are just ooh wow, what's going on? I could I can feel it. It's like it was terrible feeling. And for some reason, I don't know how, I won this game. And from then on, I just came out of the, my tunnel. And I ended up winning this set six love for some reason. So it was like I almost, I saw death from so close that, you know, it was like, okay, you, you, you died, Yannick, but you have another chance to come back. So I said, okay, now this chance, I don't, I don't let it go. So I won this set and then I ended up winning the game. 
end of match. And I think virtually every player who's ever won a Grand Slam has had a moment like that at least once in a tournament where it could have gone the other way and things might have gone badly. And yet you beat Lendl and you were supposed to play, if the rankings were to be believed, Jimmy Connors, who you'd, yeah. who you'd always struggled against. And yet he, mm-hmm. he wasn't there. Yeah, he wasn't there. Uh, I was, I always had trouble with Jimmy because Jimmy had this way of playing and he was hitting the balls. He was not giving this top spin and you could hit the ball, uh, you know, over your, your hips and on, you know, above your hips and the shoulders, high balls. He was always, always like this low balls, low balls. He's, he's, Every every shot he hits was always like always close to the net, so you really had to to play under the belt always, 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 and I didn't like that. Um, and he plays the, he played Christophe Roger Vasselin, and, and Christophe Roger Vasselin played the match of his life, and and beat him, and that was like the best surprise. You know, I was like so relieved not to play Jimmy. And, uh, because I had, I had a Christophe. I know Christophe. We grew up together. I never had lost to him, but I, I was, I had his game. So it was so funny because my, my problem then was, okay, you still have a semifinal to play. You know, you have a couple, you have a couple, you know, one or two days to, to pr- prepare for the semifinals. So don't think about the final. Just think about Christophe. That was like the main thing to really focus on Christophe because, uh, I was so excited. I said, okay, I'm in the finals. I mean, I'm in the finals already before even playing. And, uh, Patrice really helped me then. And I played a really serious game. Really, I, I didn't miss many. I didn't miss anything. I was in such a good shape. You know, I just had one, lost one set in the whole tournament. So, and, uh, I, I really, uh, I destroyed him. You know, it was, it was actually, it was, it was terrible because at some point I was actually hoping that he would play better because I was playing great and he was not playing well at all. He was still in, you know, overwhelmed by the, the win that he had against Jimmy. And I could see him on TV all day long, you know, giving interviews. Hi, you beat Jimmy before the game, Jimmy, Jimmy. And I said, Oh, I was, I remember like once I was practicing and he was, he came to practice the day before the game. Uh, our semifinal, he came to practice at the, at the racing club in, in Paris and he came and he had like, probably like three cameras a cruise around him like following him on the court so I said oh Jesus how can he focus how can he concentrate and he was mentally he was totally drained totally mentally tired for my for our game so he played a terrible game I played a great game and you know I, I beat him very easily 6-3 mm-hmm. six, 6 love 6 love and yeah. um, I just wonder though Yannick you have dreamed about this moment you're about mm-hmm. to go into the final at Roland mm-hmm. Garros. So many players have tried and failed since. And and I wonder how you felt the day, the night before you stepped out there against Mats Volander. Well, I was, uh, you know, we were, I was staying in my country house with my dad. You know, we didn't want, you know, to have anybody else in the house. I was staying with my dad for the whole tournament. So it would be quiet. And, uh, and we went back to the home. We had an early dinner and, you know, I was really relaxed. I was, I was looking for, for the game. I had played Mats a couple of weeks before, three weeks before in Hamburg and I, and I beat him. So I was very confident. I, I used to love to play Mats and, um, and I went to sleep and, um, 
And for the first time, and it was the last time, I, I dreamt about the whole match. I dreamt the whole match. First set, I lose. Second set, I win. Third set, I win. Fourth set, I lose. Fifth set starts. And I lose the game. And I lost it. And I'm like totally destroyed. I remember crying. I remember it was like so clear, this, this, this dream. And, uh, and I, you know, I hear a sound and I, and it's my dad, you know, and I say, Jesus. And I, and I, I was in bed. I just lost the game. You know, I felt like I was Monday and I lost the game. And I say, wait, what's happening? Did you sleep well? And I slept for eight, eight straight hours. And he goes, you ready? And I'm like, I still have the, my body just feels like, oh, I just lost, you know, you, you're dead. You know, I'm flat dead. And he goes, you ready? You slept well? And then I, and I realized that actually I didn't play the game. The, the, the dream was so real. So I was like, wow, a second chance. Oh, this time I'm not going to make the same mistakes as I did like a few hours ago. And I was so fired up. It was like having, you know, after that I was working, you know, when I became a coach, I was like working with visualization, images, uh, yoga. Uh, and it was like a natural visualization and like super intense trip. And uh, I came on the court. Everything that happened during the match was kind of a déjà vu. It was déjà vu. But I also knew. So we went, warm up. But I knew that was the game of my life. You know, it was a beautiful day. I, uh, I, all my family was there. All of my family, all my friends, everybody, all the people that you know, helped me during the game. Arthur was there commenting for the TV. He was not missing one person. Everybody was like, so the energy was like so perfect. Perfect day. I was really hoping for a beautiful day because as I was like the attacking player against Mats, you know, it's always better to have like, you know, warm conditions. The balls are faster. The court is faster. And uh, I knew it was the game of my life. And uh, as we were like behind the curtain before coming up to the court, I remembered praying and I never prayed in my life. I never prayed. I prayed. And, uh, and then after the prayer, I remember the feeling that I had is like, was like, I'm not, I'd rather die than coming out of this court without the cup. It was the feeling that I had. I was totally into the game, heart and soul for this game. It never happened to me after I played. I won some matches, never won a Grand Slam, won some tournaments, but never did I have this thing. It was like a, it was, it was like a spiritual thing. I was, I was, it was 100% me, Yannick, tennis player. For this match, I'm, I was ready to give everything, including dying. You know, I was ready to die for this one. And, uh, and then it happened. <laughs> it sure did. 6 2, 7 5, 7 6. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on I've watched some of the match back uh before before we started speaking and and a couple of things that really struck me one is your approach to the match the the relentlessness of your charging to the net now and I know you did a lot of a, a lot of time you were at the net in your career but was this unusually uh aggressive yes well you know Mats was giving me the opportunity you know, after this game, I talked to Matt. Matt is like uh, my friend. And uh, we talked about this, you know. We're always laughing because when he comes to, to Paris, even though he won three times the French Open and won seven Grand Slam, we, 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 we used to do some exhibitions of charity matches. And every time we play, they introduce him at the fine list of, <laughs> the fine list of Roland Garros 83. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> oh, but anyway, so we talked, and he said after this game, he realized that you know he had to to change his game, and he became more aggressive. And this is when he became another player. He was more aggressive, you know, behind his first serve. He could even he could come to the net. He could attack. He was he was just you know not the player that was when in the 81, 82, 83 before this game. And, uh, but then when I played, he was basically staying in the back and trying to pass you, daring you to come to the net and just trying to pass you. And that was just perfect because, uh, he was, uh, he was exactly the kind of game that I really liked. And for me, attacking was the only way. Uh, I liked it. I loved attacking. I loved being at the net. It, it was my territory. I, I loved it. Yeah. You, on match point, uh, I remember the match point and the way you finished it, and then you you immediately turn and seem to look for your dad in the crowd, and he yeah. he he is there. Um, yeah. Just just talk us through that moment. Well, you know, you, when when you play, and when I when I especially when you play at home, because we have this luxury, this privilege as French. Uh, to play at home, you know, we're playing at home. Uh, when you play, when I played on this court and I played for 10 years, I know exactly who is where, you know, I know, I know where is my family, of course. I know where are my friends. I know where is these beautiful chicks that I saw the other day. I know I take all the good energies. I know where everybody is. And of course, you know, I, I knew where my parents were. And, you know, then, you know, I, I you know, I, you know, I know, you know, I was, you know, I used to ask my, my, my players when I was a captain, why do you want to win? And they say, well, you know, the first time, say, yeah, well, we want to win because we want to win the Davis Cup. I say, yeah, but, but why do you want to win the Davis Cup? And sometimes they didn't have an answer. I, I told them, and this is what I, we play for the people who sacrificed so much for us. We play for them. When we win, we win for them. This is, this is our, the way we can like give back. This is their reward. Like we win, we win for them. We win for the people we love. We win for our fans. We win, but most of all, the people have been like sacrificed. I sacrificed my childhood, you know, being with my parents just to be there at this moment. And, uh, but that was like sub in my subconscious. I didn't like, I couldn't put words into it. And, uh, so I win this match point and, uh, I, 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 I couldn't think, you know, I, I, I barely shook Matt's, you know, hand. I, I forgot to shake, uh, Jacques Dorfman's, the referee's hand. And I just saw my dad jumping, you know, uh, 
from the, the, the stands. And I lost it and we just started crying. And he said, I say, I, I was saying, we won, we won that, we won, we won, we won, you know, and, uh, crying. And, you know, he said, I love you. I love you. It's the first time ever my dad told me he loves me. I knew he did, but he never told me, you know, we had to go that far. And, uh, that this moment changed my life. It, it just changed my whole life because not that was just the last, the, you know, the last French player won the French Open. It was just that the emotion was so strong and so pure. I think the last French that won the French Open before was 37 years ago. Uh, people were so happy, like everybody in the, were crying. People were crying in front of their TV. And, you know, it, it was like the best emotion possible. How many times you cry of happiness in the arms of your father? You know, if you're lucky to do it once, you know, you, you know, you're the lucky man or lucky girl. You know, you never cry of happiness. You know, you cry, you cry of sadness, of melancholy, or, you know, sometimes you can have some tears, but like cry, cry, hugging your father in front of millions of people. So since then, you know, uh, I, I came, I went into, you know, all these French people's heart, you know, and that's the best way to go and, you know, get into people's, you know, you know, heart, you know, to add the best, it was the best door. And, um, and to that day, people always talk to me about it. Always, always, always. Uh, every time, every day, if I walk in, in France somewhere, someone's going to tell me, Yannick, I remember where I was. It was such a beautiful day. We were with the family. We jumped up and down in front of the TV. We started crying. You know, we hugged each other. And it was, it was really, really the most emotional thing I ever lived. And, um, and I did it in front of millions. And, and the best part, because sometimes you can say, Oh, I remember one day I cried of happiness you know, in the arms of my parents, you know, but the good part is that I have it on tape. <laughs> I have it on tape and I can show my, I can show my children, you know, I can show it. And it's funny because one, the first time Joe Kim won the NCAA tournament with the Gators, uh, as a basketball player, he won and he was like, yeah, and he, the first thing he did was to walk up the stands and came to hug us. Oh. Oh, his mother was like, it was the best day. It was, it was like the best day like to, for my child to do it too. It was like just amazing. So this is history. You know, it just, it just like, it was like a moment that we know, obviously I will never forget. You know, it was like, you know, people always remember. And if I sometimes forget, of course, I'm not here thinking about it all the time, but people remind me of this time always with a, with a good smile. And uh, that's it. That was my French Open. If I had won Wimbledon, which I've never came close to, but maybe uh, the US or the Australian Open, it would have, it wouldn't have been the same at all, at all. I won at home. And after that, you know, I didn't, I, I, I had it all. You know, I couldn't, I was not motivated to, 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 to have another one. I never got this fire. I was working hard, but I never had this extra fire that was almost, you know, I was telling him like almost spiritual, you know, it was a question of living or dying. Never had this after that because I, I, I achieved it. I achieved everything I wanted. 
uh, if I'd won maybe before the Australian Open uh, or the US Open, maybe I would have tried to go f for another one because my goal was to win the French Open. And he went beyond, you know, because my dad coming and everybody, you know, the whole energy was like so perfect. You know, it couldn't have been better. It was a dream. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Catherine, it was a dream. And he makes you feel every moment of that dream, I feel, including the dream he had the night before the final when he thought he hadn't won. He makes you feel like you're in the dream with him. In fact, I, I, um, I, my dream is for Yannick Noah to record uh, some sort of meditation tapes because just his just his voice lulls me into a into a very dreamlike, happy state. It's the most magical voice in sport. Um, yeah, I mean, as I was listening to that, I was thinking, I wonder, if, I wonder what kind of dream Matt's had the night before. Imagine if both of them had a had. I spoke. Well, actually, he usually you hear stories of athletes having a a, a dream where they, you know, visualise themselves winning. But actually, he had a dream that he didn't want to to come to fruition, which is quite a sort of um, slight divergence from the from the trope of uh, of visionary athlete dreams um god he's 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 something isn't he he's just he's mesmerizing i mean and the honesty of him the way 
the way you talked about how relieved he was that he didn't have to face Jimmy Connors in the semi-finals. I loved that. I loved him saying, um, well, I already thought I was in the final. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that that doesn't make you think, oh, you arrogant, what, who do you think you are? Um, he just believed in himself and was was right to do so. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel I feel transported um, to a time when I wasn't even alive, and that's gosh, what a what a superpower that is that he's got. I don't normally believe in fate or things happening for a reason, really, or you know that that kind of trope. It was meant to be, but to hear him describe the series of events, you know, the, how he had trained harder that year, how. He liked playing Lendl and beat him, how Connors got out of the way, how Ash was there, his father was there. It was all perfect. He sort of, he lulls you in. He um, he turns rational, logical thinkers into people who believe in mystery and spirituality. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a placebo effect he has on people. And I think that's why he's been such a successful Davis Cup captain and Fed Cup captain. He He makes people, he changes the energy in a room when he walks in and he, he sort of lulls you into thinking like he thinks. And yeah, he just he just has an effect on people, which is difficult to put your finger on, but it's just, it's just there whenever he speaks. I've never met anybody like him. And the first time I ever met him was 1998 when I joined the ATP as a pretty green, young um, 25-year-old as I was then. And I, I was dealing with... Borg and Machina at a Champions event in Doha and they were pretty it was pretty intimidating to be honest to to try to deal with these people that had I'd watched as a kid and Noah immediately put me at ease that was the the, the beauty of 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 his 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 way his demeanor he he makes you feel like you're the only person in the room that he's interested in hearing from at any one time and and I I didn't know him at all um and yet he, he kind of made you feel like he cared about what you were saying, the, the sort of things you were asking him to do. And and getting into a conversation with him socially, he, he was totally invested in, in whatever was being said, or at least that's how he made you feel. And he could do it on a wider scale as well, whether it was a room full of people that he was addressing, it felt like he was talking to all of you. If he was, If he would take the mic and start singing or playing music, let's make it clear here he had a more successful music career than he had a tennis career after he'd finished it's just incredible what he achieved uh, in the music world and then in a stadium like what we've just watched the tennis that that he played to win that grand slam title the only grand slam title that he ever won we've just witnessed that and he had everybody eating out of his hand whatever he felt they felt and even 22 years after first meeting him, and I've only seen him once one-on-one, -on -one, I think in between that time, I interviewed him briefly in, in 2010 uh, at a tournament you and I were both at, Catherine, in Paris. And I remember him seeing me then, and he wouldn't have known my name, but he saw me and he, he remembered who, who I was by sight. And he, again, he makes you feel very, very warm. There's warmth there. And here we are another 10 years on, and we we got to speak to him via a, a friend of ours who knows Mansour Barami, who called Yannick Noah and arranged for us to speak to him. And when I 
called him up. He 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 couldn't place where it was. He thought it was twenty five years ago that we last saw each other, um, and yet he just makes you feel like he's got all the time in the world for you. I asked for forty five minutes to speak to him. He spoke for ninety. And I had to sh- I had to stop the interview because I'd got to do something else uh, by that time, um, and we will have that full interview for you in a few weeks' time. You 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 will just hang on every word is all I can say. I I listen to it and I I feel like I'm holding my breath while I'm listening. I'm hanging on every word. I'm most of it. I'm trying to suppress laughter or tears or or shock. Just. The, the way he can tell a story and uh, maybe he could have achieved more in the game, but frankly, who cares? <laughs> he, he left you with that moment. Do you remember he didn't even play that champions tour event, David? It was, it was, there had been a Champions Tour event in Paris for a number of years on the clay at the um, at the at the racing club, but that was the one year it was held in indoor at the, uh, at the Stade Coubertin, where they used to have the uh, the WTA event there, and that was the same the same event where there was the uh, the McEnroe Lendl uh, moment <laughs> that we've described on the pod, and I'm sure we'll come back to tomorrow because uh, we're reliving their their French Open final on Monday. Um, but they obviously desperately wanted Yannick Noah to play this event. It was his fiftieth birthday that week, I believe. Do you remember any of this? Am I? Yeah, no, I do, I do. Um, and he's and he's just turned sixty. Yeah, and he, he, they just they got him to just show up and walk on the court and uh, and accept an enormous birthday cake. <laughs> that's that's you know that's all he did. He was there for one day, waved, and said thank you very much for this enormous birthday cake. And it was it was the best moment of of the week. It was just absolutely electric, and you know I wish I could have seen him play. But um, but seeing him hold a birthday cake aloft, uh, being cheered on by uh, by thousands of people was pretty special. And then, what, what did you think of the tennis you've just witnessed from that final? I mean, unfortunately, it's one of those matches that we don't have the full, complete match. But we've seen some highlights of his run to that title and his dad running on the court. And what did you think? Of I, I was struck by exactly the same thing. It seems you were that you referenced in that interview how how aggressive he was, what a net rusher he was. I hadn't quite realised that about him. And just, I love seeing, we talked about it with with um, Martina Navratilova on the clay. Again, spoiler alert, something we'll be discussing over the, over the next week or so. The commitment to come to the net on clay is something really magnetic to watch, especially when it's against somebody like Volander, where you've got this this immense contrast. And Volander just looked stumped, didn't he, by the whole experience? He looked just at a, at a bit of a loss, um, both by I, I guess by the sort of the the magnetism of what was down the other end of the court, but also by his by his style of play. I was also struck by how immensely cool his uh, T-shirt was and how immensely uncool it would look on almost every other human being because it was <laughs> it was a like a, a, a polo with a collar um, that's open at the down to sort of the mid chest and it didn't even have buttons giving you the option to to um, to cover up your chest should you wish. Um, and of course he looked fabulous, but just imagining that on anybody else, that look a prat. 
I won't try. <laughs> uh, Matt, in another life, pre-tennis podcast, you had studied Yannick Noah. Yeah, I think everyone's everyone's kind of got a Yannick Noah connection as the way as the way he told. You know, he he entered people's hearts in that day in Paris, and I think it's impossible to overstate how popular he is in France. You know, he's and he's and he's cross generational, as you said, David, because of the way he's become um, such a successful artist and singer and performer, and young people know him for that. Really, anyway, I was. I was living in France on my year abroad in 2016 and we had to do a we had to do an essay and I had absolutely no idea what to write about. And then I got a copy of Le Keep one morning and he was on the front as the Davis Cup captain. He'd just been reinstated and I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder if I could wangle my way to writing about tennis for my year abroad project. Why don't I do something on Yannick Noah and, you know, discuss with my with my supervisor, can I do it on why he's culturally important in, in France? And they said, yes, go ahead. And suddenly I just discovered all this stuff about him, which all kind of goes back to 1983 when he won Roland Garros, because that was, and this, I'm going to move into our sport and history crossover here. That was, that was a really important year in French history, 1983, because the country was kind of at a little bit of a crossroads about what it wanted to be as a nation. Um, on the one hand, you had a march for equality against racism, which took place from October to December. It was the first kind of anti-racist movement of its kind. And that came about, unfortunately, because on the other hand, there were um, there were by-elections in a French commune in Dreux in northern France where the National Front actually um, won the first round of elections for the first time. So you had this divided country between, um, you know, anti-racism and racism, to be honest. And in the middle, you had Yannick Noah winning Roland Garros. Um, so here was this you know, franco Cameroon sensation who on one hand symbolised the France that people wanted... France to be and on the other hand France that people didn't want the country to be and therefore his win was just so culturally important he was at the forefront of social change really and um, you know he was kind of politicized after that presidents talked about him symbolizing France they wanted to use him to gain support um, I think Mitterrand went went with him on a trip back to Cameroon you know, so he just became this incredibly important figure that went just beyond his tennis. Um, and that's why today his, his kind of legend has endured. Obviously, it's endured because no other French man has won a Grand Slam since. He's kind of there, there Fred Perry, if you like, you know, and that name endured in British culture for so long before Andy Murray. Um, and it's the same with Yannick Noah. He just gets talked about and it. It all began with this match that we've watched, 1983. And did he embrace... All of that, Matt. Certainly not to begin with. He, um, he, he. I think he fell into a little bit of a depression actually after after Roland Garros nineteen eighty three. He couldn't quite deal with the fame and the reality of it all, and he actually moved to the United States um, because the pressure of living in France. He was their star, um, and the pressure was a little too much. But I think as the years have gone on, he's. I think a lot of his music is quite political and social, and he's kind of embraced it through that. Um, but at the time, it was certainly, certainly hard for him. 
Oh, it's great background. History plus sport. Yes, please. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> that's what we're all here for, here on Roland Garros Relived. And uh, that is our first of 15 of these that we're going to be bringing you over the next couple of weeks during what should have been the French Open fortnight. Um, also, just a couple of little bits of, of sad news that we've received over the last few days. Ashley Cooper, the four-time Grand Slam champion passed away on Friday, aged 83, an Australian who won in 1958 the Australian Open Wimbledon and the US Open Championships, uh, passed away and will be sadly missed by many. Rod Laver said of his fellow Australian, so sad to hear of Ashley's passing. He was a wonderful champion on and off the court and what a backhand. So many cherished memories. Farewell, my friend. And also, Kathy Sabin has passed away. She was the first female president of the LTA and uh, somebody that I came across a few times and was just the loveliest person. And uh, I know she'll be very sadly missed as well. So we're going to be back tomorrow with another edition of Tennis Relived here on the Tennis Podcast when we are going to be, as Catherine said, looking back at John McEnroe trying to win the French Open, the elusive French Open up against Ivan Lendl, who'd never won a Grand Slam title in his life to that point. On Tuesday, we're going to be looking back at Chris Evert against Martina Navratilova from 1985 at the French Open. Catherine has been speaking to Chrissy Evert. You'll be hearing that here on the Tennis Podcast. We can't wait for that. We've got Mary Carrillo talking us through the John McEnroe she knew back in the 80s and what that entire moment in time meant to John McEnroe. Uh, so that's coming your way tomorrow here on the Tennis Podcast. Thank you for listening to us today and we'll speak to you tomorrow. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.